When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello and welcome to the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm Paul Wheelock and with Phil Kirkbride, Adam Jones and Sam Callow having some well-deserved time off. I'll be hosting today's show and I'm pleased to say I am joined by three of our regular guests, Dave Prentice, Chris Beasley and Connor O'Neill, who will help you look back on the win over Arsenal that took the Blues up to second, at least for 24 hours, and look ahead to Wednesday's big Carabao Cup quarter-final at home to Manchester United. Uh, now, there's, there's probably times when I've been listening to this podcast over the years where I've had the pleasure of guesting on in. It's been a bit like a self-therapy session, <laughs> but, but not anymore, Dave. Not with the, the Blues making it three straight wins with that win over Arsenal on Saturday night. What did you make of it? It's been a spectacular run of results, hasn't it? I mean, the, the, the nature of the uh, the fixtures, the fact that the way we seem to have changed the way we've played in them as well. And it's just been an absolutely incredible run. Um, we looked at these with a sense of dismay and thought, oh, wow, Chelsea, Leicester, you know, Arsenal will do well to pick up, you know, one win, a couple of draws maybe from them, you know, and, you know, We'd be reasonably satisfied with that, but we haven't. We've won and we've deservedly won. I thought Saturday night it was a slightly different one in that we did ride our luck on a couple of occasions. Uh, I'm thinking of like the David Louise shot that you know hit the uh, hit the post uh, from a rare moment of fairly sloppy defending, um, and you know maybe in other games that kind of good fortune wouldn't have gone our way. And we have had you know moments as well, the Leicester game, you know, with the penalty being given and then being overturned. So you have to throw that into the mix. But equally, we've looked like a slightly different team to the one that we were at the start of the season when we were, you know, we'll score more goals than you kind of mentality. Um, you know, great going forward, not as great defensively. It's gone the other way now. And, you know, we just set up this like really great defensive block and then happy to just wait for opportunities to come as and when they do and uh, try and open things up. And so we deserve the win, no doubt whatsoever about that, regardless of what Paul deluded or Mikel may think afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a slightly different game to some of the ones we were seeing earlier in the season. But it doesn't matter. I mean, uh, you've got to try and adapt you know, so your style and your tactics throughout the season. You can't play the same way throughout the course of an entire season because you've got to adapt and change your personnel, as we did again. Uh, but Carlos seems to have done it really, really adeptly. He's uh, he's shifted his resources. He's got us playing a slightly different way. And we're looking all the more effective for him. So regardless of all the little bits of bobs and things that went our way, it was another great result. Three out of three. And we've got a possibility now of having the best Christmas that I can possibly remember <laughs> for decades. I mean, I don't want to you know, sort of jump, you know, tempt face or get ahead of ourselves. But, you know, if we can win on Boxing Day, uh, a fixture which we should really win, given the way Sheffield United have started the season. Premier League alone, that has been one hell of a run of results. And then obviously we've got a cup quarter final we'll talk about later. But, you know, if somehow we can get it right on that day as well. Wow. You know, what a little run we've had. No more therapy required, just yeah. celebration. Yeah. Dave's best Christmas since uh, he used to get gifts from the big man. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Yeah, Chris Prano referenced it there, the Arteta's post-match press conference uh, comments and he he basically said that Arsenal had dominance in that game and it made me, it made me wonder when exactly that dominance was I know in the last five ten minutes they, 
they came on a little bit strong, which happens when you you know you you've only got one goal to, to recover. Yeah. But surely he was he was talking rubbish there. Um, yeah, there, there were a few there were a few nervy moments um, for me. There were a few times when I thought, oh, you know, it, it could be coming there. But in general, as Dave said, these kind of games have been much easier to watch than even I would say the Fulham game when Everton were magnificent going forward, but you were just wondering when it was all going to collapse in the second half at, at Craven Cottage. And, you know, they've looked much more assured. They've managed the game. And the big, a big part of that, I mean, I was talking to Michael Ball earlier, his column was obviously coming out this evening. Um, and I was, even as a former fullback himself, you know, he, he says he's happy to forgo having any recognised fullbacks in the team because he's just been so defensively solid with those four recognised centre-backs across the back four. And yeah, they've just been able to, as Dave said, to, to manage games a bit better and have more sort of quality rather than quantity when it comes to attack. And it certainly is a, a, a more uh, assured watch for the fans, B-Day and Goodson, or the, the, the many who are watching at home. Tell you what, I admire your coolness there, Chris, because I certainly wasn't uh, assured or cool in the second <laughs> half. I, I, I had Jimmy seat for the last 20 minutes, yeah. which is very Everton. <laughs> you know, don't do it the easy way. Uh, Chris mentioned then, Connor, about the defence and like it, there's nothing like winning an Everton game and then going on Twitter after then and loads of Blues being really happy. And there was once again loads of social media love for, for Ben Godfrey. I had an absolute storm. I know he's been mentioned a lot on this podcast in recent weeks, but I'm going to make no excuse to, for asking you about him now. What a signing he looks. He was he was excellent again. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just gets better and better and better. I think you you look at him the weekend, then he was a driving force down the left. That run he went on with a couple of minutes to go where he kind of, you know, anyone else would have just panicked and put the foot through the ball and he just drove up the pitch and won as a free kick in, in Arsenal's half. It was it was absolutely superb. And, I, you know, I know Carlos spoke today yesterday about, you know, the late, the late decision to make, to go for him and, and make a move in the window was, was paid dividends. And again, you know, that just shows, I think, how far the club's come in the last couple of, you know, certainly last year that we're now kind of making signings, we're making big impacts. You know, for, for a long, long time, we've kind of, our transfer business hasn't been great and it's always kind of been a, a look of, oh, well, you know, a bit, maybe a little bit of regret or a little bit of someone's not found a feet straight away, but you know, this lad's come in, playing at left back and just, Stole the show the last couple of weeks, simple as that. Stole the show. He's just been absolutely superb. And I do think, though, I, I mean, I, I spoke about this a couple of weeks ago, even on we talk about back four and the back three and what have you. And I do think Everton are reaping the benefits from just having four defenders on the pitch across that back four. I think, you know, they're defending properly and they're doing what they need to do and, and doing it well. And I think they're really reaping the benefits of that. But in terms of acceleration and, and that cool and calmness, what Ben Goffey's being on the left hand side, it's, it's absolutely superb. And, you know, long may continue. And, now all of a sudden, you know, Lucas Dean made us get back fit. Probably maybe have a bit of a, a fight on his hands to get back in, which we never ever thought we would have seen when he picked up his injury a couple of a couple of weeks ago. This competition is breathing. Obviously, it's, it's it's working, isn't it? Because if you look at someone like Yanni Mina at the start of the season, there was a, a couple of mistakes, Dave. You know, and he's he's made them in the in the past as well. But he was another on Saturday night. He's definitely raised his game in recent weeks. I think there's an awful lot to be said just for. Uh, defensive consistency. Uh, we've been preaching it so many times in this podcast that I don't like to see chopping and changing uh, of back fours because uh, good defences get to know each other's game inside out. And that includes having the same goalkeeper behind you as well. And, you know, you think back to, you know, the famous Arsenal back four that, you know, everybody can rattle off, you know, so because they were so good week in, week out. And we wanted that at Everton. But unfortunately, the players that were uh, selected for the back four 
weren't producing consistency enough performances to warrant it. So, you know, Carlo felt obliged to change things uh, because people were making mistakes, like you say. Um, I mean, even very early on, you know, Ben Godfrey came on against Liverpool and looked, you know, assured at right back, which is a very alien position to him. I know he has played there on occasions, but he is a centre half. Uh, but then the next game was at Southampton. Uh, he, he was retained the position and didn't look, he looked like a fish out of water, to be honest. So it's testament to how quickly he's been able to settle in. Uh, to Everton Football Club and to the Premier League that you can suddenly, you know, forget about that, eradicate that one sloppy performance and just produce increasingly more assured performances. And that has then in turn allowed Carlo to stick with the same back four. And I think that just benefits everybody. Uh, you know, everybody feels they you know each other's game inside out. But it's up to the players themselves to continue to show that consistency. And if they do, Carlo can't really change it unless it's injuries or unless it's, you know, uh, you know, a, an inexplicable loss of form. It's weird because Luca Dean and Seamus Coleman are so important to us or were so important to us in terms of their attacking output. What they, I mean, Luca Dean has produced more assists than, you know, sort of any other fullback apart from the other shower across the park. Uh, but, you know, they are so important to the way they play as well. So, you know, they were massive to us in the attacking, you know, sort of output, but maybe we suffered a little bit defensively as a result of their ambition and their enterprise. They've got injured and we've gone to the opposite extreme. We've got two fullbacks now that, you know, they don't not go forward. I mean, like you say, Ben Godfrey was charging forward on occasions, you know, like a, an Olympic sprinter. Uh, but primarily, they sit in and they do their defensive job first. Mason Holgate has looked solid. Um, obviously, Ben Godfrey has on the other side. And Michael Keane has been a paragon of consistency all season. Uh, can't, you know, underestimate how well he's looked. And even Yeri Mina now has sort of eradicated those little errors from the last few games and has looked like he's the man that, you know, to be shifted. So, because they're performing week in, week out now, you know, so Carlo has to continue to pick them. And I think that then allows them to rub off on each other, you know, so they feel more confident in each other's performances. So, yeah, all in all, it's looking quite solid. Gives him a, a real dilemma, really, for, for Wednesday night now, because you'd expect there to be changes. Um, you know, with it being so quickly after the weekend's game, although United had 24 hours less to prepare for it. And then obviously with a, you know, a, a tough physical game on Boxing Day. But if he is going to make changes, which I'm sure he will, again, I'd rather not, he didn't make them at the back, leave those four alone. You know, they're playing great at the moment. So just let them continue to produce that consistency, which they have been. We'll come on to uh, Wednesday's game shortly, Chris. But while we're on the subject in terms of changes, we're, we're, mm. we're going to hear from Carlo Ancelotti on Tuesday afternoon at his pre-match press conference, where no doubt he'll be asked about uh, James Rodriguez's fitness. If he's fit on Wednesday and we know what he's brought to the side already, do you bring him back in or do you go with the kind of lineup we've been going with over the last three games where it's maybe more solid and you sacrifice that kind of creativity or is he just too important and too mm. good not to, to, to start? Yeah, we I mean, only Carlo himself will know how um, how fit James is and how how ready he is. But if he is ready, yeah, I, I would um, go for him. As as Davis said, I'd, I'd try and keep the changes to a minimum in in the back four, the back the back five. Um, yeah, but further forward, yeah, he could freshen things up. And he, he he is a match winner. He's not. We all know he's not been the same ever since that. Um, Injury picked up in the derby. He's been in and out, and even when he was playing, he was he was a shadow of you know the play we'd seen in the, the opening weeks of the season. But hopefully, you know, once he is fit, be that the Manchester United game or not on Wednesday or whenever he is deemed uh, fully fit to return, hopefully, you know, he has recharged the batteries a little bit and got that out of his system because you know we've seen already in his short space of time he's been at Everton. Do you know what a very special player he, he still he still is. He's got a lot to prove. Um, He's come to this country wanting to show that he is still a, 
of world-class talent. He's the kind of game, and you know, sorry, the kind of player in a game against Manchester United might be, you know, a real tough cup tie. He might just prove the difference. How are you enjoying the different styles, Connor, at the moment? Obviously, at the start of the season, we were winning games 5-2, 4-2, conceding two goals every game, but still managed to get in points and three points. But now we've, we've flipped the script, but it's been proven very successful. Do, do you think going forward, we're going to play like one in particular, or do you think there may be like a, a mix of the two? I think in terms of enjoying it, I think you enjoy watching your team in football matches first and foremost, don't you? And I think it makes a massive difference when your team does win football matches. You know, we had that fantastic start to the season and then obviously things derailed a little bit after the derby and we, we lost our way. But you know, the last, I think the most pleasing thing over the last three three games is that Everton have shown they can do stuff that maybe people doubted they could do and including probably myself and others. You know, can they roll the sleeves up and dig in deep and, and really, you know, get themselves over the line when it matters most? Because like you say there, you know, to start the season, a lot of the games we were winning, we were blowing teams away. It was only really the Spurs game, the opening, opening weekends of the season, we've got to dig in deep and, and get ourselves over the line. And I think the last few, few the city the last few games over the last week, the way we've dug in deep um, was a real progressive sign, I think. And I, I think ultimately, I think hopefully moving forward, we'll see a mix of both. I think it'd be great to see, you know, when Everton side that, you know, when we do play the lesser teams, certainly at home, you know, we take the game through them on the front foot and, and we look to really get at them, like we've done with like of West Brom, Fulham. But then, you know, in the tougher games where, you know, your Manchester Cities, your Liverpools, your, your Man United, it'll be a more of a case of we've got to dig in deep and everyone does a job a job for the team. And we show a little bit more of a, a gritty, you know, kind of roll our sleeves up and get stuck in performance than the, the flair that we might see against the, the lesser teams. Because you, you look at it, Dave, now, like, I think it was on, I seen it again on Twitter after the game and someone put, like, who, who we've beat so far this season, who we've got points yeah. against, yeah. obviously, there's the draw in the derby, that win at Tottenham that Connor's just talked about there, you know, beat Chelsea, beat Arsenal, we had some tough games and then all of a sudden we find the, the, the team in the top four and I know Carlo was asked about this on, on Saturday, his press conference, and he said, is it a, a realistic ambition now to be challenging for, for the top four? And, he, he laughed a little bit because he doesn't want to get ahead of himself. But he yeah. said Everton are, are dead on menace. And then when you look at those results that you know, they've had this season, that's understandable, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, 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 it's weird because we, we've loved Carlo's optimism and his boldness. I mean, as soon as he came in, he started talking about Everton, you know, wanting to challenge for the Champions League. And then he qualified that, you know, last weekend by saying that, well, we want to challenge for the Champions League. And if we are doing that, well, you know, you've got to try and consider us challenging for the Premier League. I think he's talking about next season. And that's why, you know, we love the guy because, you know, so Everson Football Club should be managed by a man who has those kind of ambitions and those kind of aspirations. Um, you know, it's, it's important. I mean, I'm old enough to remember, you know, when Everson were, you know, so one of these teams that were expected to challenge for the very, very big trophies in English football. And that hasn't been the case for a long time. I, I actually think that this has been a really pivotal period uh, in Carlo's reign. I mean, um, those last three results, I mean, the the pundits generally were comparing uh, Carlo's record to Mikel Arteta's because they both took over at a similar time last season. Uh, and they were both very, very close, which surprised a few people uh, because, you know, the perception is that Everton have done far better than uh, than Arsenal have. And we have done, you know, so up until, you know, the last couple of weeks, you know, and now we've just like, you know, sort of strode away from them. But those three games, um, if they'd have gone... You know, so maybe the way we half expected them to go, uh, you know, a draw, a defeat, you know, so maybe scramble up winning one of them. People would think, well, yeah, you know, there's still a lot of work to be done here. You know, so Carlo's still got a long term project, which needs a lot of work, you know, putting into it. But the fact that we've won those three back to back, 
suddenly everyone's buzzing again now. And, you know, they're actually thinking, thinking that, yes, you know, so Carlo is this like absolute, you know, genius, you know, some managerial mastermind that, that we wanted in the first place. He won't get ahead of himself. You know, he does. Uh, he doesn't get overexcited when we win. He doesn't get overly down when we lose. He's very pragmatic. He's very considered. And that comes with experience. And he does have you know, enormous experience um, in, in European football. Uh, so, yeah, we're really enjoying what we're seeing at the moment. And, um, you know, the, the quality of the sides that we've beaten this season. It's a weird old Premier League, isn't it, where you're seeing, you know, a lot of teams uh, more than any other appear capable of beating each other. I mean, City won at Southampton at the weekend, which sort of surprised me a little bit because I thought Southampton, you know, so it might give them a good uh, a good game that day. But you get the impression that, you know, even Manchester City can be beaten, you know, so on a good day. And, you know, so if we can have good days against teams like that, you know, we can get those kind of results that we haven't got in the past. I mean, that was always the big criticism of the David Moyes era, wasn't it? That we even when he was doing really well and we were finishing fifth uh, and hitting that glass ceiling, we still weren't winning at the places that, you know, we wanted to win, like Anfield, like the Emirates, like Old Trafford. Uh, you know, it's it's far too infrequent that we've won at games like that. Under Carlo, you get the impression that maybe we could do that a little bit more often. Um, you know, there's still been a few wobbles this season, but we've also posted some very big, very good results. OK, you know, the uh, two of them have been a good or some over the last uh, last two, two or three weeks. We just get this perception that this feeling that yes, you know, so we could bloody the nose of the, the bigger sides, if you like, a bit more often than we used to. And we should be one of those bigger sides. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really enjoying it at the moment. Kind of leads me on to a piece that you've written for the uh, the website and the paper uh, tomorrow, Chris. Uh, it's on mm-hmm. the website now. Because obviously it's Carlo's one-year anniversary officially today, isn't it? I know yeah. the, the guys talks about it on Friday. And yeah, it, it really echoes a lot what what Dave said there. And like, you referenced in it the kind of... Uh, Fairly, uh, how do we say, not at all partisan Sky Sports, uh, the, the live studio guests kind of thing. Yeah, obviously, very Liverpool FC leaning, weren't they? And there was something sooner said that, that great, you know, created without question kind of thing. And yeah, it does feel like there's outside of our, you know, the Everton fan base who, who, who understand that this is a club who should be challenging for the top four and, and deserves a manager like Carlo. Certainly, you see something like what Suna says, and it's, it's not always the case outside, though, is it? Yeah, I mean, for, for, for a start, I know that grated, probably quite rightly so, with a lot of Evertonians when they saw that um, Sky panel, like as uh, t- two former Liverpool um, captains, one of them a former Liverpool manager, and then the daughter of a, a club legend and Jamie Carragher in the co-commentary. So, yeah, for well, a game not... <laughs> <laughs> it was a local game for them, you know, with you know Liverpool associations, but yeah, and none of them had any relevance to the game, did they? None of them that got no. any Arsenal links either. So yeah, very no, strange. Bizarre in that in that respect. Yeah. Uh, if anything, actually more Tottenham again. So that would just annoy the Arsenal fans, wasn't it? Because Sunasex Tottenham, uh, Redknapp mm-hmm. X Tottenham as well. Yes, just a great bow sets of supporters. <laughs> but um yeah, even even Jamie Redknapp was balking when uh, when Sunas came out with his his, his, his remark about um um, he was. He seemed to twelve months on. He he seemed seemed perplexed at the idea that Carlo had um, had come to Everton, and uh, it's not just it's not just with Liverpool, is it? You know, ultimately Everton's um, great rivals, but you know, it seems to be with a lot of um, non-Evertonians. This this surprise that Ancelotti has come to the club. I mean, don't get me wrong, it was a massive coup. And a lot of it comes down to timing, the fact that he was he became available just before the vacancy came up at Everton. But why why not why not Everton for, for Carlo Ancelotti? I mean, I've said in the piece today, 
Um, you could argue his previous employers, Napoli, I know they've experienced a lot of Champions League football in recent years. I mean, historically, Maradona era apart, you know, they're not as big a club as Everton. Why not Carlo Ancelotti to come to Everton? He feels he's got unfinished business in English football. Probably even struck a chord with him. Um, the way I think that he was treated at Goodison Park and with, with the locals on that evening that his Chelsea reign came to an abrupt end. Um, uh, he, you know, people have said, oh, he, he came to, to Everton for the money. He was given, you know, a, a big pile of cash. Well, he'd wanted um, the easy life with uh, money. He could have joined the Chinese gravy train and, and gone along that one. But no, I think he still has a real hunger and a real desire to to have a bit of unfinished business. We've discussed other things in, in the piece, this idea that Ancelotti only takes on title-ready teams. Again, that's a misnomer. You know, he had, he had plenty of work to do at Milan there. They were underachieving when he first came in there. It was PSG's first title for 19 years that he delivered. Even Real Madrid, serial winners, you know, he had to sort out the mess left by a very divisive Mourinho era. So, no, I think it does Ancelotti a great disservice that this idea that he just turns up and rocks up at the, the, the easy jobs where he's got all these Galacticos in tow. No, no he, he sort of undermines all the, the work that he's done in his various positions. And I think he, he's really determined as well the fact that Milan apart, he's only ever done two years at one individual club. He, he wants a, a longer-term project. He wants to put down some some roots at 61 at Merseyside. And, you know, he, he certainly looks the part on and off the pitch. Connor, you went on the pod on Friday. What have you made of one year to Carlo and Everton? I think it's it's been it's been fantastic. I think there's been ups, there's been downs, you know, there's there, there was there was some certainly, you know, bleak moments when you think back to, you know, around January, February was his rain last year where, you know, the results were a little bit tough. The Chelsea game in particular and we were, you know, we were comfortably beaten four 0 But I just think, you know, you look at you know I know what I know what Bees are saying there about, you know, Everton in terms of, you know, lucky to have Ancelotti and the the, the, the kind of analysis that's been said. But, you know, I, I do still kind of pinch myself at times that he is the manager of Everton. I think, you know, when someone who's a little bit younger than than, 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 than the lads, you know, who's only ever really seen Walter Smith, you know, David Moyers, Roberto Martinez, Marco Silva, to, to get Carlo Ancelotti was, was massive, you know, for, for someone like me. So I think, yeah, I think for me, I think it's just been fantastic. And I think, you know, we've seen real signs of progress. I think you look at the transfer business he's done in the summer, it was, it was fantastic. You know, Hammers, Allen, Decore, you know, all three players made a massive impact at the start. Ben Godfrey now is now may come in and made a massive impact. And I think it just it, it shows that you know the, the there's a real desire, you know, Fire Bush's got a real desire to to make Everton compete with the best and be the best. And I think, you know, the appointment of Carlo Ancelotti has put Everton on the right tracks to doing that. You know, these he, look, I don't think we should get carried away too soon because you know we haven't won nothing to achieve yet, it's only December of the season, but I think you look at how far we've come in the last 12 months, you know, we look a lot more stable, and I think you just have, as an, Ever- as an Everton fan in general, you have more hope, I think when you see Carlo Ancelotti stood on the touchline, it inspires you, you know, you have a bit more hope, I think, certainly, you know, the last couple of years, we, we've had managers who perhaps, they haven't, you never had that hope in, you never thought he was the man to do things different or change things up, you know, Carlo's done that more over the last year, and I think, you look at him compared to Arteta and Arsenal, Everton a reading of you know, the success because they went for an experienced, proven manager. It might have cost a little bit more, let's say, than, than what Mikel Arteta cost Arsenal. But you know, like like the the old the old age saying, you get what you pay for. And Everton have got a top class manager who's delivering you know unbelievable results right now, this moment in time. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Do you want to talk about one player who you mentioned a moment ago, Connor, who Carlo signed, and then one player he inherited? Because uh, I thought they both played well on Saturday night against Arsenal. Uh, I know you were you were saying with the, the guys on Friday that with Alan out injured, uh, Abdelight the Corey had a chance to kind of take centre stage. Uh, I think it's fair to say he did that. But I also want to ask you about Tom Davis because I've seen there was a a lot of appreciation for his performances. I know he gave the penalty away, but both of those played pretty well in mid in centre midfield. Yeah, I mean, I referenced Tom in the pod last week as being, you know, this could be an opening for him, an opportunity. Whenever one player, you know, suffers an injury, it's always an opportunity for somebody else. And um, obviously, he's a very different type of player uh, to Alan. Uh, but there aren't many who are very similar to him. Uh, but it was an opportunity for him to come on and, and just basically stamp his personality on the match and show Carlo what he's capable of doing. And yeah, it was a shame about the penalty. Uh, it, he was a little bit slow to react. I mean, it, was, it wasn't a howler as such, but, you know, if he'd have been a little bit more switched on, he'd have been aware of the presence of, of the player there and he wouldn't have, you know, sort of swung that, you know, sort of volley through his shins. Uh, but he showed the character to recover from that. And it didn't affect his performance adversely as a result. And he did perform, you know, solidly. I mean, he can produce a lot more. We know that. Uh, but it was, it was a good, solid performance, carried the ball a lot um, and, you know, and looked, looked, you know, so looked decent. Um, I don't want to damn him with faint praise, but, you know, so equally, I don't want to go overboard, you know, but you know, I thought he did give a very, very good performance. Decore, though, is just showing us now, you know, so why we chased him for so long and, you know, so why he's become so important to us. Yeah, losing Allen was a big blow. Uh, so it's an opportunity for him then to take a slightly different role in the team. And he just seems to be flourishing in it. And he's very, very quickly becoming indispensable now. I mean, he covers ground so well. His awareness of danger uh, is, is so switched on. And he seems to get to things, you know, so just when he's required um, those telescopic legs, that, you know, sort of ability to read the game. Uh, he does, he's looked great. The only thing we haven't seen from him so far is like, the ability to pop up in the opposition box and score a goal. I know we got the one at Fulham, uh, but, you know, he did that a little bit more frequently at Watford. Certainly his first first season there, I think he scored six or seven goals. It was, you know, so quite significant and then tailed off a little bit. So we know he's got that in his locker, but he's not being asked to do that at the moment. At the moment, he's been asked to do a holding role and to screen that, you know, sort of back four and to try and be as... Um, as solid and as aware of danger as possible. And he's doing that magnificently. Uh, so, yeah, I'm a, a big, big fan. Uh, again, it underlines how great Carlo's transfer recruitment strategy has been. I mean, uh, all the players he's brought in have been, you know, sort of major pluses, major ticks. Obviously, Marcel Brands has, you know, sort of a big part of that as well. Uh, but they have, you know, they've not really put a foot wrong so far. I mean, Godfrey's been absolutely inspired. Even Robin Olsen, you know, has come in and looked absolutely assured. Uh, but Decore, yeah, has been an absolute shining light in that. Uh, he's, he's been excellent. And as I said, he's rapidly becoming indispensable. Uh, you know, we can probably get uh, get by, you know, so while Alan recovers, you know, hamstrings do take a while. But I wouldn't like to think how we'd do if Decore also ducked out. So let's not think about that. Let's just, you know, so hope he continues to enjoy, you know, so the, the kind of form and, you know, so freedom from injury that he's enjoying at the moment. Come on, Dave, let's be positive. 
I have been quite too. I was touching wood, Dan. I was touching wood. I know. As I was talking, I was thinking, I'm just going to go. It's Christmas Eve. Come on. So, Chris, if, if, if the Corey rightly, as Dave says, there's indispensable, who mm. who lines up alongside him? You know, say if, uh, we, we presume that Alan will be out for, for Wednesday's game against Manchester United, given the nature of the injury. But say if Andre Gomez is back, who, who would you start alongside the Corey at the moment? Who's done enough to, 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 to have both of those places? Uh, to be fair, to be, like we said, we don't want to move change the defence around. So maybe there might be changes in midfield, but I'd try and keep it as, as, as similar uh, as possible. Like you said, Davis again had, had done well. And to, um, to be fair, much maligned Gilfie Sigerton. And I'd say also much maligned by myself as well as uh, many other observers. He, he you know, he has um, improved in, in recent weeks and upped his um, game as well. He's, it's been too many games over the last year or so where he's just been a, a passenger. You know, he's never without work rate. The statisticians will always point to the amount of ground that he covers. But you're just seeing for, you know, he's ultimately still the club's record signing. And you wonder at times just what he's actually doing because in that final third of the, the field, you know, he, he needs to be uh, making that impact. But... No, uh, I think it's good to to have that that dilemma. Those options they are all very different um, options, and uh, you know I I do like Andre Gomez, but I think again that let's go back to that Leicester City game. I thought he was fortunate. For, you know, VAR in the end did show that it, you know the decision was correct to overturn that. It, it wasn't a penalty, but there's been too many occasions for me with with Gomez at times where. When, when, especially when he's defending, he's you know he's not the, the paciest of individuals, and he also seems to lack a bit when it comes to you know be, being quick in the mind as well in those situations, and he's been a bit languid and can put in a, a clum, clumsy challenge. I want to see more from Gomez in the way we've seen from from Gilfie Sigerson in recent weeks. I want to see that from Andre Gomez as well, having that impact in the in the opposition area rather than you know giving us all kittens when he's, he's in his own um, area. Just one final one, Connor, before we, we talk about Manchester United and get your predictions for, for Wednesday's game. Everything that Chris has said there, we have Evan have got options in midfield. There's a number of players, but you know, in recent weeks, I mean linked with Kadera, uh, obviously played with Carlo at Real Madrid. Do you, come January, do Everton need to look for another centre midfielder? I don't know whether it's a case of Everton look for other midfielders. I think if a midfielder comes available can improve us. And I think it would be stupid not to not to target that midfielder. I think you know the, you look at the position Everton are in now. We do have we do have options. We do have good options. But I think you've got to look at now in a strategic way in terms of if a player becomes available, who can improve us and take us maybe to the next level. Then certainly we should be looking at, at that player. I'm not too convinced on Sammy Kadir. I have to be honest. I think he's had a lot of injury problems over the last few years. He's not played a much football at Juventus um, this season. And I think it might take him a little bit more. A lot longer to get used to the run of the Premier League, which I don't think is what Everton need um, from January onwards, because obviously it's a hectic schedule this season with with the Euros and the, the you know the, the, the tight deadlines and what. So I'm not I'm not too convinced on that. But I think in terms of the general general question of do we need another midfielder, I don't think it's a case of us needing another midfielder. I think if another midfielder becomes available, because improve us, then I think Everton have definitely got to go for it because they've they can't sit they can't stand still they can't sit still they can't think oh well. You know, we've done this, or we've improved, or we've got to keep continuing to improve. We've got to keep continuing to improve the squad um, in a bit to basically, you know, if, if to to do what Carlo wants to do and what Carlo, you know, regularly talks about in terms of 
you know, let's get Champions League football, let's challenge for trophies. We've got to keep improving the squad. So if someone does become available, we think not just not just in midfield, I think in any position, if, if someone becomes available, we could improve improve the squad. Then I think you know, Evan have got to go forward because they can't stand still and they can't just you know simply look at where they are now and think, oh, well, you know, we've improved and we're doing well and that's about it. They, you know, they well, they've got to keep the finger on the pulse and they've got to keep you know driving to succeed and be, and get better and better. Hopefully, come January, then Everton will still be in the top four and in the semi-finals of the Carabao Cup. Are you confident yeah. for Wednesday's game? You sounded at the start of the pod. It's <laughs> funny actually because yeah, we were asked this very same question, weren't we, uh, about was it three or four weeks ago about uh, you know will we still be in the top four and in the semi-finals of the Carabao Cup? And I have to hold my hand up and say I wasn't wildly optimistic because I looked at the fixture list and you know so I saw Chelsea, I saw Arsenal, and I saw a chip to Leicester. But the way that we've handled them, um, oh, I am I am optimistic. I mean, this is a huge game for me, this. I mean, as I've mentioned before, I'm of a vintage, slightly different to some of you guys. <laughs> and uh, I, I remember when the League Cup was important, you know, so it did mean something. And it's still important. I mean, let's face it, City have just won it, you know, sort of three seasons in succession. And they take it very, very seri- seriously, as should we. Uh, but, you know, I remember my first ever visit to Wembley was 77 for the League Cup final against Aston Villa. And uh, that, that was a great occasion. Um, rubbish match, but it was a great occasion. Um, and we actually got through to that final by playing Manchester United in the quarterfinals. And that is still one of the most fondly remembered matches of that era by, you know, some fellas of my age. We went to Old Trafford and United were rubbish back then. They weren't a particularly good side. They'd not long been relegated, in fact, uh, and come back up to the uh, top division. But we still, you know, weren't really expected to, to go there and do anything. And we went there and won 3-0. And it was just like a wildly celebrated. It was like so unexpected that result, um, and then it helped that we got Bolton in the semi-finals, and you know we had a second division team. And so you know Wembley was on the horizon. So you can sort of see parallels this time around. United again in the quarterfinals, and I'd love Brentford in the semi-finals. That'd be nice. <laughs> but you know, so it's going to be it's going to be tough. We know that because United they're such a strange team this season. I mean, even yesterday. You know, okay, they won 6-2, but they never really looked completely comfortable until that sixth goal went in. It was like such a really weird game. And uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer made changes. I think he made five changes before that game. So I was immediately, like most Blues, looking at the team. She's thinking, oh, wow, who's he saving for Wednesday? Who's he going to bring in on Wednesday? And it still means that you know, he's going to have a very, very strong-looking team, uh, you know, sort of going out on Wednesday night. But, you know, we've shown this season that we're capable of beating the better teams, you know, going to Tottenham and winning, beating Chelsea at Goodison, uh, holding Liverpool at Goodison to a 2-2 draw. So we know we're capable of doing it if we get it right on the night. It's a massive match. You know, it, it could go to penalties, couldn't it? You know, it's uh, 90 minutes, I think. Uh, do, do they have extra time? I'm not sure if they do now. And, you know, obviously we suffered from that last season in the League Cup. But, you know, we know we're capable of doing it if we put a performance together on the night. And, you know, United, like I said, they've had 24 hours less time to prepare than we have. And they've got a tough game uh, again on Boxing Day. They go to Leicester. So everybody's looking at all these little things and trying to find signs that mean that, yes, this could be the night for us. But don't underestimate the significance of this game. This is a big match for us. I mean, Carlo has said he wants to qualify for you know Europe this season, but he'd love to get a trophy as well. And I know it sounds a bit strange because everyone talked about Mikel Arteta winning loads of time by winning the FA Cup at Arsenal. And that seems to have been eroded very, very quickly with the run he's had in the Premier League. But I just think if Carlo can, you know, sort of get a bit of silverware in the cupboard and end that awful sequence of not having won a trophy since 1995, all those nice things we've been saying about him, 
get reinforced and magnified even more. He becomes a demigod, you know. So we, we absolutely love the fella already. But if he can become a manager that brings silverware to Goodison Park, you know, they'll be starting to talk about building statues in his name. Uh, so yeah, it's a massive, massive match. Uh, there's a couple of thousand in there, and that will make a difference. I mean, uh, I was a little bit skeptical about the the difference that having only 2,000 fans will make uh, on a match, but it has made a big difference in the games we've seen so far. And they can make a difference again on Wednesday night. So I'm optimistic. I'm very, very looking forward to it. Uh, unfortunately, I won't be inside Goodison Park. I, I'll be watching it in the Dixie Dean Hotel on a big screen there. So, you know, so hopefully, you know, so with a socially distanced pint in behind, the things go according to plan. So, uh, yeah, really, really excited about this. And it's going to be tough. United are a very, very good side on their day, but we can beat them. We know we can beat them. So, you know, do you want a prediction from me? I'm going to, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going to say it's going to be a wild roller coaster of a game, uh, you know, as United games tend to be, but we're going to edge it 3 2 to the Toffees. Got me going. Chris, what do you reckon, mate? Similar? Yeah. <laughs> Give it you a bit more brevity. Um, I don't, why do you drink a socially distant pint anyway, Dave? <laughs> Just don't let no one come near you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I think that the fans have made... I've got to echo that about the fans. They've been more than the sum of their parts. I think they've got Everton over the line to a certain extent these last couple of games. And given the current situation, and unfortunately the way things have gone backwards in London, you know, with it going down from 10 to just four Premier League teams currently with the fans in the stadium, could be a big difference for Everton in the, these weeks ahead. We've touched wood that Everton are still allowed to keep their fans in the stadium. They'll play a part, and I think that they'll help Everton to win 1-0. 1-0, 3-2. Connor, you make it 3 out of 3 and predict an Everton win? I am going 3 out of 3 for Everton win 2-1, I think. I think this is a big game. I, I, I get hold of what the lads have both said there, but I think this is a big game because this is the type of game that Everton can prove that things really are changing. You know, it's a massive game. I think so many times in the past we, we've kind of got to these occasions and we felt the final hurdle or we just quite haven't had enough to get over the line when it when it matters mostly. You think back to you know the, the Chelsea semi-finals, the David Moyes era when you know the, we were beating three-one and aggregates in the end, but we just didn't quite have enough. I think this is a massive game in terms of proving that we can go that extra step now and, and Carlo is the man to you know, take us into the next level and I think we, we'll edge it just but I think it'll be an open frantic game because I think they'll be rattled for it as well because it, it, they're, they're just a mad team I mean I know what Penel was saying there you know you think back three weeks ago Solskjaer was on the verge of getting sacked you know it was it was over for him and now it looks like they could be the you know dead in the Premier League title race <laughs> so it, yeah. it just shows how, how, how things change in football very very quickly you know you think you think three or four weeks ago you know Everton and Manchester United have all kinds of they've lost the way and you know the, the bubbles are burst and now you know the, the two of them are right in the in the title race with you know another team from across the park. So hopefully we'll have a little bit of, we'll have a, a little bit more freshness to us and we'll just edge it to one. But it's going to be some occasion because like the lads have said, having two thousand fans in there is going to be massive. And I think you know Solskjaer was already moaning last week, wasn't he, saying it wasn't fair that you know Everton and Liverpool are both being cheered on by fans and, and they're not. But you know that's. That's not that's not Everton's fault. They've just got to bottle that up and take it forward and use its extra motivation. Well, I'm going to make it a full house and go one 0 to Everton. I just wondered if it, 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 the way Carlo's been playing might suit us on Wednesday night because when you give United space, they they they're obviously very good, aren't they? On the attack, as we've seen against Leeds on on uh, on Sunday. But uh, Dave, Chris, Connor, thank you very much for for joining us on the Royal Blue Podcast. You will be back later this week to review the game and look ahead to that Sheffield United one. And just fingers crossed that the Blues, by that time, are in the semi-finals of the Carabao Cup. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.